This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Hello and welcome to Talking Dirty episode 15. Over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, looking an awful lot like the milk tray man, it's Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy and extremely handsome horticulturalist. Well, thank you very much. Um, I have to say, uh, uh, sitting in uh, cosy Cambridge, we have Thordis Maria Sophia Friedrichsen. Um, and she always has such a lovely smile, everybody. Don't you agree? Hey. Well, we've discussed this before. It's an uh, attempt to overcome any kind of RBF. <laughs> Resting <Exactly>. bitch face. <laughs> so keep that, that grin firmly fixed on. Also grinning and joining us for the first time as a guest on the podcast is none other than Ben Preston, head gardener at the wonderful York Gate. Hello and welcome to Talking Dirty. Hello, hello. Well, unfortunately, I'm going to disappoint you this week because I've been listening to all the wonderful middle names of everybody and I actually don't have a middle name. Oh, and you're like Vanessa. <laughs> I'm a ben- Benjamin, Benjamin Preston. That is it. Short and simple. Can we add one like Ben Bonnie Preston? Because you like. you're a bunny guy, you know, a good looking guy. I call the ginger squirrel by my sister, so maybe the squirrel. <laughs> I always think squirrels are my spirit animals, you know, hiding things away and forgetting where they are. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm down with squirrels. Um, now, I am ashamed to say I haven't been to York Gate, but I feel like I have because ever since Alan Gray paid a visit, I have heard so much about it. So tell us, <laughs> paint us a picture of York Gate and tell us a bit about it and how long you've been there. Well, it's, an, it's, it's, it's an, a magic, magical, magical little garden. And I've been there just over three years. Um, I'm now garden, so I run the overall site and live, I live there. Um, I'm not. I'm not here actually now. I'm actually at another location. But yeah, I live in the garden, so I look down on the white garden from my bedroom. It's a one-acre garden that was created by the Spencers in the 50s, 1951, um, and bequeathed to perennial the garden charity in 1994. Um, and really, it's, it's 14 garden rooms that have got all completely contrasting styles. And the backbone of the garden is absolutely amazing. I mean, I've completely fell in love with this garden when I visited with my mum six or seven years ago, and. I, I just love being head gardener there. Um, I remember when Alan and Graham first turned up and actually the garden was shut and I wasn't at the garden and I turned up and popped out to pick up some And there was a rather large Rolls Royce parked outside the front and then um, Alan and Graham just running off. Um, and Graham was wearing a bowler hat and I remember Alan was, uh, I remember his blue eyes actually. He was piercing blue eyes and a, and a, and a lovely shirt. And uh, I chased them out of the garden and managed to say, oh, come, come back in and have a look around. We had a lovely walk around, um, swapped cuttings and chatted about the garden. And then I promised that I'd go and visit Alan and trust them, which I did the following summer. And so it was a great meeting and it was lovely. Obviously, I, I didn't know too much about East Ruston. I'd never been. And then from there, we sort of became distant, well, friends from distance. We've only met a few times, but I feel like I know a little bit about it. Um, but yeah, so York Gates... Um, I've got a wonderful team there now. When I started, I was the only gardener there um, and I actually took on second trainee on Monday. So there's a team of five of us now. Um, and I've got an amazing, amazing team. Mark Jackson, who used to be the head gardener at Newby Hall, is now the head propagator and nursery manager. 
I've got Jack Hogg, who was an absolute plant wizard, and loose cannon, um, planting all, planting things. He, he rode gardens when I'm on holiday, tucking geophytes into tree crevices and succulents where they shouldn't be. But anyway, he's the most amazing gardener. And then I've got two fabulous trainees, Andy, most amazing plantsman for his age. He's 22, and I mean, what he does, he's he's really pushing the boundaries with us in the garden. Um, and Tom, um, who's about six foot seven, that started Monday morning. So. Um, very, very lucky to have such a wonderful team um, in a small garden, but we've, we've extended the garden this last year. Um, the garden's 6.5 acres in total, not, not that just for that one acre that Spencer's created. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that in the next half an hour or so, but it's, um, it's been an absolute whirlwind, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I love every minute of it. When I first went to York Gate, and there was a house next door. I'd just like to just tell you this because it's a bit of a paints a bit, bit of a picture. And we got to York Gate, Graham and I, and we walked in. The place was immaculate. I have to say, it's one of the most well kept gardens I've ever visited, but not in the way that it, in any way clinical. It's just very, very well kept. And as we left, I remember we looked at the house next door, which adjoins York Gate, but we didn't know at the time that that house was empty. Um, and I just turned to Graham and I said, God, if you live ne next door to York Gate, wouldn't you weed kill your drive? <laughs> Talk about pressure. Very interesting. So that, that's actually, there was a lady that lived there. So she was called Molly Hoare and her, her parents bought that house off the Spencers or bought that little plot of land in 1958. So seven, seven years after the Spencers moved into York Gate. And they sold off the sort of the barn and that, it's about a half an acre to fund building the garden. Um, and she moved into a home six years ago and she offered perennial first refusal on buy, buying it back. That is actually where the new cafe is and we've had a full redevelopment and we've, we've, re, we've completely re-landscaped the lots of the, the, the weedy drive is now a new drive um, and there's a new, <laughs> there's a new sunken garden and um, yeah. And that, that, I, think, I think you deserve another <laughs> visit, Ben. I can feel it coming on. It's, um, <laughs> we've created um, sort of a, uh, sand will create a sand garden, which is a new concept to me. I saw Peter Corn talk at the Beth Chatter Symposium a few years ago. It's completely blown away by it. I've not been over to Sweden to see his work, but we've, we've really pushed, I mean, we're pushing the boundary in Yorkshire. Um, we've planted agaves outside and hardy aloes and echiums, olives. So we've created, it's largely based on my, my trip. I spent a, a month in Andalusia a few years ago. So I wanted to create like a derelict olive grove and you've got these olive groves that have, not the huge sweeping olive groves, but the sort of the older olive groves that have been almost neglected and the wildflowers have started taking back over the species daffodils and then a little bit of the species tulips. And it's really exciting. And to be honest with you, we're, gonna, we're probably going to kill loads of plants, but we're going to have some great successes <laughs> as well. So we've thrown the book out the window, taken a leap out of Peter Korn's book and we're just going for it. And it's very, very exciting. It's exactly what... That's exactly what Graham did here with the desert, the desert wash. I mean, just chucked the rule book out of the window and said, well, I'm going to grow the kind of plants that I like. And I mean, aloes, deslirians, um, all the kind of exotic plants, agaves by the score. I think there's new agaves seem to appear on my propagating bench nearly every day. Um, he's sitting behind me, so I can't say too much. But... <laughs> They're increasing the range. But I mean, it, it is that. It's just throwing the book out the window. And I think the good thing is, Ben, that if you take the last few years, um, our winters haven't been, uh, well, let's just say climate is changing um, um, to, the, to the better from the point of view that we have, want to grow those plants that are less hardy. Absolutely, yeah. And I think things like, you know, aloe polyphylla and some of the echiums, yeah. you know, candicans, um, 
then they, obviously you get the, the slightly harder, taller ones, the Piniena and things, but we're really, and even, I mean, I remember seeing Eckingwell Pretty Eye um, up on Mount T in El TD in, in Tenerife, and was actually on a cycling trip with some friends, and they thought it was completely bonkers. We'd done a best about 100 mile bike ride, and I was stopping taking pictures of these towers of red Eckium. <laughs> get back on your bike, come on, let's go anyway. Um, so I've got some seeds, so we've grown some from seed, and we're going to try them. And, um, and actually, yeah. growing in sand, I mean, Success we've had already is is quite remarkable. Rooting rooting things into sand, um, and we wash all the soil. I mean, even in this time of year, we're washing everything off bare root. No soil goes into the sand. There's about two foot of sand over the subsoil, so eventually the roots will find their way down to the subsoil. Um, it's quite amazing. They, they create these completely different root systems. When you when you plant a put a plant in the ground in a pot. They create that sort of like, oh, the one's got a little microclimate in that pot already and they, they stay in that shape by completely completely pulling it to bits and starting from scratch. We found that they, they grow in a completely different way and it's, it's very, very interesting. It's quite an interesting secret you just dispelled there too, I think, um, in actual fact, because it is, uh, it's the secret of the, the, the success of the desert wash here. Um, and that is the fact that you've got very, very light soil or sand and gravel, that you're keeping your plants as dry as possible at the root during the winter, which is what they, they, they hate winter Absolutely. wet. Absolutely. But they hate winter wet. And the other thing as well is, obviously you get that free drain sand in the winter, but in the summer, Sand is quite moisture retentive, so you get that free, that moist free drain that we're always looking for. I mean, you go to the beach and you dig down a few inches, um, and it's 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 wet, you know, it's damp. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you get that, you get that mix of, you get the water retention. So once you've once you've watered in the younger plants, it, it's a very drought tolerant. You never have to water ever again. Actual magic. Yes. So um, you tried that in in a particular area at York Gate. Yeah, so we've we've sort of created the sun garden. That's on the that's on the south facing side below. We've created sort of a cafe. It's below the cafe terrace. It's very Mediterranean. Um, it's like being in a a bar in Andalusia, um, drinking sangria. <laughs> well, hopefully we've not really had the summer for it. We, we've had, to be honest with you, we've had the worst weather this year. Um, obviously, we had great April and May, but we've had a disastrous summer. Um, I mean, we'll probably get on to talking about salvias and dailies and things, but. I mean, they're just not performed with us. Um, yeah. I think down south, you had a much better summer. I mean, June, well, June and July were just awful one months. Of the, one of the great successes in our garden, Ben, is actually a gift from you, which was um, when, when we came to uh, York Gate, you had a salvia there called Salva, Salvia Atrasiani. And I think you, uh, you may, may remember you asked me where it was in the garden. In other words, I sort of thought, there's a, Christ, he's pestering me. Now, see, I, didn't, I actually rooted that cutting. <laughs> I did. Um, and I've got I've got two plants of it growing in the garden. And one of my things that's happened to me this year with uh, that salvia, because it has done so well, um, and if, it, if it's harder with you at York Gate, it's got to be harder here. Um, and that is the fact that I've decided that I need it in larger groups. Now, to make that, to make, I mean, it makes a wonderful impression anyway. Such a good plant. And those long flower scapes, they get longer and longer and they curve like serpents. Um, and you've got that blue plant. with the black calyx and everything else. And they're just, they're just fascinating. They're not hugely showy, but they, boy, you don't miss them. And one of my things that I've made this, uh, uh, I, actually, fact, I took 40 cuttings three days ago. So I'm going to have two plantings, but they're going to be big plantings. So it'd be even better. While we're talking, Salvia, I'm going to mention the salvia to you. It won't be harder with you because I don't think it's harder with me, but I think it's well worth growing. You mentioned the fact that you've got this lovely propagator guy 
well, here's one to get. And if you if you can't get it, if ever I'm coming your way, I'll bring you one. And if if, um, if you're coming down here, I'll give you one. Um, <laughs> it's called Salvia bullata. And it it has the most, I mean, Thunder saw it the other day. She she came into my potting shed and I was actually taking cuttings of it. And I said, look, this is what I'm taking cuttings of. And there in the glass jar was all the flowers I'd taken off the plant. It's got turquoise, turquoise flowers. Um, they really are that kind of very strange mixture, but they've got little lime green tips to them. It's a stunner. And it's a gorgeous plant, isn't it? Yeah. We do grow it. Um, oh, you do? We do, yeah. Um, we've got a rather large collection of salvias. Um, and we've actually, I've just bought the dark form off a lady called Sue Mann. Because um, he's got a very sprawling habit. And there's a there's a, a much darker, so I've got the turquoise blue form. And then there's also a darker a darker turquoise as well, which is, I've not seen it flower yet, but I, I bought a rooted cutting. Right, yeah. yeah You're right. It's, it's quite a horizontal growing plant. It doesn't grow up, it grows... Um, it's the kind of thing you put on a promontory where it can actually just do its own thing and go sideways a bit. Yeah, it sort of creeps through things. And I mean, I actually I grew it in a pot in the herb garden. It, we, we had to put a few supports around it and it sort of, there's a few things climb over each other, but it was, um, yeah. it's, a, it's a very odd colour, isn't it? Yeah, very odd colour. I want to mention the actual cyanide and that you're going to do a mass planting because I've never seen it mass planted. And I actually set seed for us last year that the actual cyanide. Because yeah. um, we take cuttings from it, and it's it's the most amazing plant. It's it's got a tuber like a dahlia, and yeah. it, we li we lifted it and moved it, and it's like I mean you can you just to get it in your arms. Um, <laughs> huge tubers on it, um, but it set seed, and I sowed the seed, um, and we we had great success. And I've got about twenty plants from seed, so we might get a bit of variation. And as you come into the new garden along the driveway. I want to create an arching hedge. So I'm going to do, I'm going to plant it in an avenue. Um, I'm going to plant all 20 plants and let them all get big. And the, the wall's about two feet high. And then, I mean, the plant grows to about eight, nine feet. So yeah, hopefully right. it'll cascade so people will be able to drive under it a little bit. Who knows if it'll work. <laughs> well, I'm sure it will. Cause I mean, that's one of the great things I think, especially in a small garden, you have the odd big plant. Because it's like decorating a room. If you've got a small room, you put one piece of big furniture or one big piece of furniture in there and instantly the room feels bigger. And the same goes for a smallish garden because it feels like a jungle and you, you know, you don't see all of it at any one time. I mean, I was terribly inspired by York Gate. One of the ideas that I came home and, and actually uh, copied, <laughs> I stole it. I stole this idea from York Gate and that was to plant um, the weeping uh, grey cedar um, on a wall and just let it cascade on the wall. And I've done it here next to our garage. And the reason I did it there was because there's not much space on that wall because of getting cars in that the garage. And I just thought, what a tremendous idea. And I thought, why haven't we seen this done before? And this is where you, when you go to a garden, you see a good idea like that. You suddenly think to yourself, well, you know, th th this is a special place. There's gonna be ideas here that I can beg, borrow or steal. And I stole that one. <laughs> well, the most amazing thing, coming into your garden was them whopping great Brugmantias. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I just couldn't, I mean, pot displays. I mean, I, I love pot displays, but I mean, obviously you're the master of pot displays because they are ridiculous. I, I just thought, where the hell does it keep them? And then obviously you've got that greenhouse that's hidden in the centre of the garden. Yeah, we have, but I mean, you know, everybody thinks that they are, <laughs> I haven't seen them grown as big as that anywhere else, I have to say. Um, Neither but have I. They're not, they're not difficult to do once you master it. And I mean, it is a matter of, at this time of the year, we're taking them out of the tubs, we're root pruning them, top pruning them, and until we get them into the greenhouse, allowing about a foot of growth 
um, for them to grow up to up towards the glass next year. And then it's just a matter of timing. They always look as if they're going to die. They never do. And we start, we increase the heat a little bit in late February, early March and give them a feed. Um, and they just burst into growth, ready to come out sometime in May. And we take them out, stand them somewhere, shelter to harden them off, and then off we go again. So, Ben Preston, um, we've obviously already delved into some of the plants that have kind of been a feature of your year so far. But what, what else have you brought for a spot of show and tell? Well, so I want to start with salvia um, and another salvia. We won't go, this is actually, um, I'm going to hold it to the screen. I'll de- describe it as well for the podcast is this is salvia envy. Um, and it's one that I went to Jimmy Blake's garden over in Ireland last year, which if anybody's not been to Jimmy Blake's, I mean, that is a serious, serious plantsman's garden. And, and his sister's garden down the road, June Blake, about 40 minutes from Dublin. Um, and I was, it was my most inspiring visit last year. Um, and anyway, we went around with a, with, with a pair, in fact, not with a pair of snips. I think he just went around the garden and said, what do you want cuttings off? And I, was, I had to drive back to England over the, and get the ferry back. It was about five days. And he got a shopping bag, put a bit of water in, and we went around and snapped some bits off. And nearly everything rooted. Um, this was five days after the bits of plants were snapped off, which is a, which is a lesson, I suppose, for, for propagation. But this is salvia envy. I should hold it a bit closer. It's, it's got a dark calyx. Like, um, it's almost like an, an Amistad or an Amante, um, but it's got a red, it's got a red flower. Um, and it's it's the most gorgeous upright plant, and it's it's almost somewhere between like a salvia fulgens and an amistad. Um, yeah, it's it's from Mexico and Bolivia, and they don't, they're not quite sure of the parentage. It's a sort of a natural hybrid, um, but it is the most gorgeous, gorgeous uh, salvia. So that's salvia envy. So thank you, Jimmy. <laughs> it's on the list. Um, <laughs> and what else have I got? I've got so I've got two plants here from these. So these were cuttings when I visited Alan. Um, and the first one's a Stroblanthes. Um, yeah. it's, it's wilted a bit. I picked it last night before I came. It's the uh, Bayeriana. It's actually from Myanmar. It's a very difficult plant to actually overwinter. It needs care, very careful um, watering care over the winter. If, if you overwater it, you'll kill it. And I know several friends of mine, they, they've been to the garden and they still have this plant, this Strobilanthes, they still have it as their must-have plant and they've had it and they've killed it and they, is that Strobilanthes I can see in your greenhouse? Yes, keep your hand on it. <laughs> it was interesting because when we were walking around the garden, one of your regulars, I can't remember his name, um, is, it, is it, Ly- Ly- it might have been, Ly- is it Lionel? Yes, it was Lionel, yep. He said, oh, we had a cutting of this and he said, oh, you, good luck with that one, you've got no chance. Um, well, anyway... <laughs> I've got a lovely pot of it by my back door um, <laughs> and it's doing very well. Um, so it, it was from a cutting, what was it? It was a year before last. When, when yep. we came. Um, so yeah, so it's doing very well. So I, I snipped a bit off last night and then um, got a lovely unsized leaf. It's almost got this, it's faded a little bit. It's almost got like a, like a bioluminescence to the leaf. Yeah, it's, sort it's, of like, like a it's like purple and, and pewter. Yeah, um, so cracking plant. Um, so thank you very much. Um, and I've got another one um, from you, which is um, a plectranthus. Um, right. And I actually only found out recently it's got this lovely purple underside to the leaf. Um, yeah. It's not flowered for me yet, but I've got it in a very shady spot. And so it's got like well, a dark, a dark leaf. Sorry, Alan, go on. No, I was just going to say it's called plectranthus mona, M-O-N-A, lavender. And it was marketed, first of all, as a pot plant. 
and it's a pot plant that blooms in the winter. And I had it as a pot plant and I used to call it Dot's Plectranthus because Dot is a regular visitor to the garden and she gave it to me. As my, I gave it to you, Ben, as a cutting and I grew it and, and I potted it on. It kept growing. I got it big, bigger and bigger and bigger. And it flowered from probably January through to the end of March, pale bluey mauve flowers, um, a bit like salvia type flowers, really. Um, and it was just so good. But I grew it this year for the foliage and we did a ribbon planting in front of our autumn border uh, with it. And I think I probably grew 50 plants from cuttings and we just sort of stuck them outside. One or two flowers have appeared, but I think it is a winter flower. Yeah, well, I'm going to act, I've got, got a huge pot of it now and it's been fed all summer. Um, so I'm actually going to take it in my house and put it on the windowsill. And so I, I was actually doing a bit of research yeah. the other day when I thought I'm going to I'm going to bring this plant on. And I think it was it was actually bred at Kirstenbosch in South Africa. Um, yeah. And you can grow it as a house yeah. plant. So I'm going to take it in the house and see what it does. So thank you again. Um, and I remember a few other bits, a few other bits that, that I've not got with me, but you gave me a, cr a little cromolina robusta as well. Um, that's doing very well. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a very good plant. That's hardy for us. I, I hope it will be for you as well. But again, a bit like uh, Salvia atrocyanaria, it makes a whopping great tuber under the ground, a bit like a dahlia. Um, so, I mean, if, if, if it's not hardy, you can lift the tuber and, and keep it uh, frost free throughout the winter. But again, that's easy from seed as well. Yeah, we've, um, we've, I've got, about, I don't know, 40, 50 plants that we've grown from seed. They're in seven centimetres at the minute. So we've, we've yeah. had good success with a bit of germination. Yeah. So, yeah, again, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I love the kind of, I love the podcast loving of shared cuttings and propagated material. But you see, this, this is so important between gardeners because, you know, if you share plants between gardens, I mean, I, you know, Ben is, what, two or three hundred miles from me, but I know he's got something and I know that I could go to him and say, can I have a bit of that back? And he'd say yes. And he could do exactly the same for me. I mean, it's, it's a great way of making sure that the plant keeps in circulation, really. It's, that's an interesting point. I, um, I, there was a very nice um, agronthemum at the garden when I started called Kinto White. Yeah. Which is um, it's not it's not Q U, it's Q I. So it's a funny spelling, kin to Y, and it's it transforms from sort of a, it goes through multiple stages. It, it almost looks single, and then it goes double, and then on the plant you get these multiple different flower forms. Anyway, I didn't have a clue what it was. It was in the garden, and I found out what it was, propagated it like mad, um, and then I gave them all away, and then I killed mine last year. So I was <laughs> ringing around at the start of the year to friends that I'd given them to like. Um, you know that plant I gave you? Can I, uh, can I either have it back or have some cuttings, please? <laughs> <laughs> I've managed to get the plant back. It's, it's strange when you talk about how plants, they, they, their flowers actually change. They metamorphosize from sort of single to double. And another plant that does that was given to me by Helen Dillon um, from her Dublin garden. And it was um, an argaranth, not an argaranth, but an abutilon. And it was a double pink one. And it has this horrible name, Victorian Lady, because it's got big sort of flowers that look like a big skirt, I guess. Um, and she gave me a cutting of that. My cutting only ever had single flowers before I killed it. <laughs> I didn't mean to. <laughs> one, of those, one of those things that happened. And I've been trying to get it ever since. So if anybody's listened to this, or if you know anybody, Ben, that has this double flowered abutilon called Victorian Lady, please, can I have a cutting? <laughs> well, I've never heard of it, but... I've Send me a cutting as well, <laughs> if yeah. anyone's listening. This is like that elusive sea eagle peach that Joe Whitehead was trying to yeah. track down. Yeah. We I've got a funny story, actually. <laughs> when, I, when I was listening to Joe's 
um, podcast the other night. I was I was thinking I was still thought of this the other day. I was I was actually in the shower listening to it. And <laughs> there was a bee or a wasp on one of on one of your behind you know in the in the distance behind one of you. And I absolutely was convinced that there was a wasp in the shower with me. <laughs> and I was I was moving around thinking, where the hell's this wasp? Anyway, I rewinded the podcast and clearly it was on the podcast. That, <laughs> It happened again. I think I don't know who else's program it was on, but it was a buzz past the the, the microphone and uh, swiping around in the in the shower. One of us has a resident fly or bee. But it's quite funny anyway. <laughs> At this time of the year, we get lazy queen wasps in our office, and they go into crevices or something, whatever they find, to, to hibernate for the winter, and then they come out of, after the winter, and they're, they're these great lumbering, lazy things buzzing around. And I thought it was a bumblebee the other day, but no, it's a queen wasp. Right. Maybe it was you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, what else do you have for show and tell, Ben? So I've got one, I've got one last thing, um, which was mentioned on one of the other podcasts, but it's my favourite planet this time of year, um, which was is Aceracanitifolia. Um, yeah. Which is just the most magical planet you'll get in a minute. I am um, looking out the window, can see it down the garden. It's just glowing. It, it starts kicking in a little bit before everything else starts to turn, and. It creates this kaleidoscope of, of of leaves under your feet on the path that we actually don't blow away because they look so good. Um, and I brought a few. They're actually going to be great. I picked them up off the floor last night, but this yeah. is the leaf. And you get these real different, you get these different shades of red through to yellow. Um, obviously, it's got a, a leaf like an aconite. Um, and it is just, I think it's a must-have. And there's the one in, the one at York gets about... I think it's about 15, 15 foot, um, and it got a really good branching habit on it, and it's just a glorious plant. So I just thought I'd bring that one up again because it's such a good one. I'm glad you actually said that, Ben, because I've got a couple of Acer Aconitifolium in large containers, which I've had in what we call our secret garden, which is a very shady area. Went past the other day and thought, gosh, I must take a photograph of that. It's just starting to turn. It was all it was bright golden yellow, and there's one little piece where we get a shaft of sunlight shining on it, and it just looked magical. But I'm glad I you mentioned it because I've got an area um, just behind the house which we're um, we're taking a couple of trees out and opening it out and putting some more light in it. It's it's very dark wood woodsy at the moment, um, so dark it's a bit difficult for to plant in it and it needs to be dappled sunlight, which it will be in after November the 11th um, when the tree fellas come in. Um, and I was going to put these um, aconitums in there and I think I'm going to have to move them further back than I originally intended because. If they grow to 15 foot, they're going to be quite statement type plants, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they're going to, um, well, it's, it's, yeah, it's at least, it's a good 15 foot, but it's got a lovely, you know, there's lots of room underneath it. You can crown lift it and you can, yeah. you know, if, you, if you're delicate with them and train them right. I mean, it's been trained very well long before my time at York. Um, yeah, quite an important thing you just mentioned there, especially in a small garden, and that is crown lifting of trees and shrubs. Because if you don't do it, you're missing a trick because there's a lot of those plants that you can crown lift. You then gain the space underneath to get extra interest in your garden throughout the seasons, really. It's interesting. We, we, um, there's a path going through to what the area call, we call the Dell, which is it's, it's got a big snowdrop collection in there. And then in, it's, it's deciduous, completely deciduous apart from one. There's a cutting hammer in the middle, but apart from that, it's all deciduous. And obviously it comes into leaf sort of late April, early May. And um, creates a sort of woodland garden. But as you come through on the left, there's an exocorda um, that's sort of, it's almost been trained, it's almost creates like a bit of a hedge. And last year, we decided that we'd, we'd clean up all the lower stems and take off all the, all the whippy growth and all the leaves. And you've got these sort of twisted 
now branches and it creates a lovely framework. Yeah. Also, what it's done is, is it created a pocket underneath for planting. So we've got, I think, uh, what we've we got in there, uh, I've got Beguinia ciliata and yeah. pulmonaria hunting brook, which is from June Lakes Garden, Loving Island. But it just creates that another area. And before, it looked great before, but it just gives more interest. And you've got the, the, the naked stems and then a planting pocket. So, yeah. Yeah. It's and very I think important at York, yeah. that's another point that uh, I can mention about York Gate, and we, which struck us both of us was the fact that the plantings, and I mean, I know lots of it was started before you, Ben, uh, before your tenure of, of the place, but um, the planting in general consists of plants that you don't usually see. So there's outcommon about your gate. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't practice in that one. <laughs> no. <laughs> Do you know what though? That crown raising thing, as you know, I'm by far the newest gardener of anybody involved with this podcast, and I get so many ideas. And it seems like such an obvious thing for someone who gardens in a small space, but that is absolutely one of the things I've now got to, to start thinking about is what planting opportunities have I been missing out on by not thinking about that. So thank you. Not at all. <laughs> People always say to me, Oh, York gets full, it's full to the brim. How can you possibly plant anymore there? And I just think you're absolutely wrong. Um, there is Yes, it's full, but there's the layers. There's there's all sorts of pockets that have not been developed. Um, all this, the mass plantings are things that can be thinned out, and there's still. I mean, as you said, I mean the garden was absolutely immaculate when I took over the keys, um, and my predecessor did a great job. You know, kept it very very neat and tidy, and and, and well gardened, and introduced new plants. But there is still, you know, there's years and years of development to do, and yeah, layered planting in succession that. It's so important to make a garden. Well, I think I think they've got the right man in charge at the moment. Without wishing to sort of flatter you too much, but I mean, somebody that takes the in that has the interest to go out and visit inspirational gardens, such as the the Dublin Gardens, um, as well as many others. I mean, you know, that's what it needs because invariably you're a great plant. When you come back to something else, you've got to see something through new eyes, and it's it's an important process. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, I, I, I think there's a lot of gardeners that don't go and visit other gardens. Um, yeah. I mean, it's good to look at your peers. And I mean, I'm very, very critical of, of my own work and other people's work. Um, and I think if you want to, you know, put yourself... I mean, the north of England is overshadowed by the gardens of, the, of, of Norfolk and the southwest and the southeast. And, I think, you know, there's so many gardens in that part of the, the country that... I mean, I believe there's some great gardens in the north of England and I really want to put put Yorkshire back on the map because there's some family yeah. gardens and some great yeah. private gardens and public gardens. So hopefully yeah. people that can be have you been to can I ask you if you've been to Newby Hall recently? Um I when I last go well not recently because obviously Mark, Mark the head gardener now works with me um, and yeah. he's my mentor and I've I've known Mark since Mark was my football coach when I was 10 and I was best yeah. best man at his son's wedding. So I've not been <laughs> Recently, but they they've got the head garden from the Himalayan garden, um, Phil. And yeah, he's going to redo the rockery, I think, and make it the most important rockery in the country. I think. Stand by for a new form of gardening, <laughs> a different form of rockery. He's a really really nice guy, super passionate, Geordie. In fact, I did I have been over there. I went over there about two months ago and had a chat with him. And, yeah, and he's a lovely chap. And one of my previous trainees, Dave, now works there. Um, and Ed, the propagator, is a very good friend of mine. So we're very close to the team at Newbury. Good. Um, so yeah, it's it's a magical garden. I mean, I've got I've got a lovely photo sat on the steps of Newbury when I was four years old with my sister. 
Um, so, I mean, they've obviously they've got the railway there and the, and the playground, but go, going back there, and I mean, I've spent many, many days there volunteering and spending time with Mark, who, yeah, you know, he's, he's amazing to work with. I mean, I, I now work with one of my mentors, um, which is magical. I mean, he's, he's, such a, he's such a lovely guy and he's got so much knowledge. And now, basically, he's come into Yorkgate and he teaches, he teaches us what he knows. Good. Wonderful. It's, it's, um, it's kind of almost like what this podcast is about, is being able to, to spend time, albeit possibly through listening to a podcast or watching it. Certainly for me, the joy of being involved in it is, is trying to absorb from people who know so much. And that obviously is the joy of being able to work alongside real great plants people. Or, you know, like, you know, Alan, you talk about Granny Gray, the, the, yeah. the knowledge <laughs> that you kind of absorb by spending time with these people. It's amazing, actually. I mean, we all do it. I think, you know, subconsciously you're absorbing knowledge and you don't even know that you are. But I mean, it uh, it, it will come to light when you something in your brain or something you're talking about suddenly triggers and off you go. Wow. <laughs> so it's interesting. So, I mean, I, I obviously, I'm in charge at Yorkgate, but by now, I mean, Mark and Jack, I mean, the plant knowledge is just, I mean, obviously they say, they say you should employ people that are, better than you are and i've certainly done that i've headhunted them <laughs> it's, um, it's it's quite it's quite a pleasure to i mean this the mess room when, when we sit down every day and, i mean it's so plant heavy i mean like these chats that we're having now it's like it at half seven every morning it's like it at half ten for tea break and then at lunchtime and it's we're learning every day and um, yeah. i mentioned andy earlier andy andy's brought a new energy and he's such a he's learned the taxonomy of all the plants and i mean he's teaching us to be honest and it's really keeping us on our toes and it's, it's great. It's really um, pushing, making us all push forward and learn and think about how we garden. Another feature that I noticed at York Gate when I came was the fact that um, your compost bins are immaculate, as is the whole garden, of course. But you have, I mean, most of us squirrel those sort of things away. We hide up because we think it's rather unsightly. And I thought that was um, a very innovative thing to do for visitors to the garden because it teaches people um, how you make and how you deal with compost. And I thought that was a rather nice idea. Yeah, with that, with that, I've actually moved them since you were there, but they're still in a very focal, they're still in a very focal position. And I think, yeah. you know, there's so many gardens that, um, I mean, ours is, it's, we're going through some renovation out, out the back at the minute and it is, there's areas that are untidy, but I mean, I think that it's the most important place to garden. And, and I think that people like yourself that come visit the garden, they're almost just as inspired behind the scenes as they are yeah. in the garden. And I really want to set the standard for other professional gardeners and people that are getting into it to be able to walk with the gardeners, obviously not because it's behind the scenes, is be shown in the back and seeing where you properly get the plants, the greenhouse yeah. and the composting phase. And, yeah. you know, we're going to get a new soil shed. And it's a really, you know, that's where, the, that's where it all happens, isn't it? It's not really... It yeah, it is. I know when I'm up in my potting shed, um, you know, you can, t you can always tell the keen gardeners and the nosy snoopers, I have to say, because you know, there's always some of those, but they just want to get into the potting shed and they stand at the door of my potting shed and I'm in there and round the corner and because they can't see the whole shed. They can't see the whole of the inside and they sort of, is anybody there? <laughs> it's just a way of getting in and, and sort of seeing, they love to see the old tools all hung up and, I mean, they're often not as clean as they should be, but I mean, that's all part of what they like to see, that what's going on behind the scenes. What are you doing? I'm taking cuttings. How do you do that? You know, it's, off we go. Well, also, your potting shed is the best dressed potting shed 
in the entire yes. country. I mean, the baskets, the sieves, the trugs, they're just everywhere. <laughs> no, I've definitely got a pot in Shadenby. I remember, in fact, we eventually in there on our, on our visit and I was blown up. I mean, it's such a good space. Absolutely. And a wood burner for those chilly Yes, days. and a wood burner, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what more could you want? Well, I, I, there's, a, there's a lovely old saying, you know, and you two should remember this. It's no good getting old unless you get artful. <laughs> You're the master of it. <laughs> Not that old. <laughs> you got artful early. Yeah, I did. <laughs> now, talking of wanting things, I feel a spot of FOMO coming on. And actually, I'm going to start, as I generally do, and I'm going to start with something I saw on your Instagram, Ben. People need to check you out as the cycling gardener. I have a um, a real place in my heart for Verbascums. I love them. But I have never heard of Verbascum roripifolium until I saw it on your Instagram. So can you tell us a bit about yes. it? Yes. And it's a new plant to me. Um, and in fact, it's, it's, a, it's, it's interesting you mention this because actually I, I sent Derry Watkins an email last night. Um, so it's a Derry Watkins introduction. Um, and it's it's a very airy um, Verbascum. And... I actually got a plant fair from, in fact, Ed, Ed at Newby's mum owns a nursery called Through the Garden Gate that's over by the coast. And, and she she grows some amazing plants. And she'd got seed from Terry Watkins and, and, and I'd seen this plant. Um, so I'm hoping to collect my own seed, but it is the, it's a gorgeous plant. And the sort of the, um, the buds before they open are like an origami pass, like a little yellow origami. But they open up, they open up on a morning and by the afternoon, the flowers are gone, and then they open a new set of flowers every day. So it works its way up the stem, and it's very airy, like a um, I don't know, like an Althea or a, um, like or a, a tall verbena. But these flowers are very dainty, and um, but yeah, definitely, definitely, you should grow that next year. Derry Watkins um, sells the seeds. So Ben, what's your flomo? My so my flomo is is a little bit out of distaste for overbred delphiniums, and. Um, I, I'm sick and I, I absolutely love delphiniums. I think they've got glorious plants. I and mean, we've got a, the biggest bed in the garden, it's in the centre of the garden. I mean, I've three summers now, I've seen the, the, uh, the delphiniums snap in full bloom due to a heavy downpour or some wind. I think they've just been overbred. Um, and interestingly, um, an old friend of mine uh, called Johnny Bruce, who was over at the Hessenhof on the continent, he posted a picture of a delphinium elatum um, sort of a wild collected seed from Belarus. And it's sort of the single parent of a lot of the red delphiniums. And it looks like the most wonderful plant and it's, it's sort of self-supporting. And, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna take all the, these double snapping great thing delphiniums out the garden. I'm gonna put some species ones in because, so species delphiniums are my firma in general, but the, the species um, from the Hessenhof, the Elatum is my plant firma. Now, my Flomo today is, well, it's, I'm going to name it after that Salvi because it's Envy. <laughs> and I, I want to get, I want to get three things. I want Salvia, Butylata, dark form, because <laughs> I just think that's a lovely plant. That's I've only great. got one plant of it, and Ben's absolutely right. It does grow very wide. Um, but I thought, you know, to, to actually grow that as a pot plant, which I've done this year, just to put out in a couple of steps or something, just for the, the late summertime when it's in flower would be lovely, but I also think I could use it in the borders as well. Argoranthum quinta white sounds very um, 
slightly unstable, which is a bit like me, I guess. So <laughs> I would fit in very well. And I like the fact that it's 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 a kind of plant that's sometimes double, sometimes single. Um, and of course, salvia envy red. I have to have that as well because that look, looks like a cracker. Well, I'll have to see some cuttings then, won't I? <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> Tell you what, Ben, Thank that you. is a score to come on the podcast and have Alan's Flomo be entirely focused on things that you have mentioned. That's your winning. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 everyone's a winner. <laughs> yeah. Sure they'll, they'll make their way to you eventually. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we have to wrap things up, let's squeeze in a couple of questions that have come in. Uh, one is about uh, Clematis, because Alan's got this video called Clematis Queen of the Claspers, which has helped quite a lot of people who have had difficulty taking Clematis cuttings have success. So everyone needs to go and check that out. But um, someone who's, whose name is Save Our Drain Cats has commented on the video asking, what time of year is best to take cuttings? And also, do you take from old or new growth? So, Alan... Well, I've just taken, when I do clematis cuttings, I do what's called internodal cuttings. So you, you take a stem and you cut between two nodes. Um, and then you pluck, when you take your cutting, this is an old wood, by the way. When I take my cutting, I push it into the cutting compost. So that the two buds, or even if they're not really there, but you know, the, the, where the nodes are is resting at soil level. And then you just leave them. I mean, it's as simple as that. You, I mean, you know, obviously give them the kind of treatment that you want for cuttings to grow. And I suppose late winter, early spring is probably the best time to do it. Really just before they start growing too strongly. Um, and, you know, if you can give them a bit of bottom heat, if you've got a propagator, I mean, I've got, a, you know what my propagating house is like, you were in it on Sunday, so you, uh, Saturday, so you do know. Um, and it's absolutely crammed full of cuttings. I think you took some photographs of it, didn't I you? did, I did. It was, it's a stop you in your tracks kind of propagating well, it's, house. It's, it's our little, our little um, factory, if you like. I mean, we, you know, it's amazing. You take a tray of 10 cuttings in a cell tray, um, and, you know, perhaps you only want three to five for yourself in the garden. So what do you do with the rest? Well, they go on the plant sales area because, again, you know, any income from the plant sales area helps to pay for labour in the garden. It, it's not frittered away on Spanish holidays or anything like that. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it's a nice way of sharing the plants as well. Though um, I would like to see you on the Costa del Sol. <laughs> <laughs> I'll raise a glass to you. <laughs> Now, um, our other question comes from Paulina, who lives in Finland, zone six, she says, and she's put her bulbs outside. She planted them a month ago and they've already got three to four inches of growth above ground. At the end of the month, the temperatures are obviously going to drop. And Paulina says, what do I do? The packaging said to plant them now. So she's confused. Also, Alan, she loves your voice. Huh? Well, <laughs> First of all, Paulina, I hope you get treatment for your ear problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, lovely to hear from you. And thanks for, thanks for looking at the podcast. I would think that probably, I mean, zone six is, is reasonably chilly. I mean, what, what zone are you, Ben, out of interest? Um, I don't know, so I get a bit confused with the zones. We get, I mean, we've not, we've not really had anything below minus five for, for three years. So I yeah. think... Is that zone four? Yeah. My advice to Paulina is to really probably not do anything. If she's worried, she could mulch around the bulbs. But to be quite honest, Finland zone six is going to get snow, isn't it? And when snow falls, it acts like a blanket and it protects everything underneath it. So I really wouldn't worry too much. And I, but I would like to know just one thing. 
if she planted these a month ago and they're already, already three or four inches tall, what the heck is she feeding them on? Because <laughs> that is some kind of speedy growth there. <laughs> She's planted triffids. <laughs> it's interesting. We just put some, um, well, a number into the sand garden, into the med garden. We've, we've put a lot of bulbs in this last week. Um, a lot of both autumn and spring flowering crocuses. Um, we put, you know, we put sativas in the, um, the saffron yeah. crocus. And they're all actually, you know, the falling out flower buds. Um, and they'll flower this year, even though they were only planted, you know, a week, two, 10 days ago. It looks like they're going to, well, they've got flower buds on, they're going to flower. Yeah. And um, so we'll see if they exhaust themselves and they'll come back next year. They won't. They won't. They'll be pretty fine, I think. Yeah. yeah, they will, because they'll produce foliage in the spring, and they'll, which will feed the bulb ready for, um, it dies down at the end of June, beginning of July. And then, uh, you know, next winter, as soon as you get some rain on it, up they come again. That's one of the plants, Ben, I think that people, don't grow enough of autumn crocus because they think crocus are oh, that springtime thing, you know, and all the rest of it. But a few autumn crocus between some falling leaves on a piece of grass looks absolutely stunning at this time of year. Absolutely. I've got, in fact, one of my apps, in fact, there's another flomo. I'm going to throw this one in. Um, crocus bonaticus. I mean, yeah. absolutely. What a plant. I mean, I'm, I'm a member of the West Yorkshire Alpine Garden Society. And there's a few of the members grow the straight bonaticus, which is, which is, purple and then you get the, the snow snow buns and snow drift which is a lovely white one i mean it is just a die for, and obviously with, with a crocus you have all the, the petals and tables of the same length so you get the six yeah but with the bonaticus there's only three so you get the inners the inners are short and the outer so like you just put the three the three outers and it is it is an absolutely gorgeous gorgeous plant um i remember um down in kent uh, adrian cooper i mean if any of you get a chance to go to adrian cooper's garden um, the guy's a genius, and he, he was originally a geologist, um, and he's got this this amazing greenhouse that's, he's got a cactus greenhouse, and he's got all these different stones, he's got like a, a Namibian quartz zone, yeah. where he grows plants from Namibia, and this, I mean, this greenhouse is like, you literally want to take all your clothes off when you go in there, it's that hot. <laughs> he, um, and he's the most lovely guy, and he runs the, um, he runs the Kent Alpine Garden site, and he's really rejuvenated um, sort of that, that club, because there is, you know, there's not many young people, especially with the Alpine Garden Society clubs. There's, there's, I mean, I'm, until Andy and my trainee joined, I was the youngest member by about 35 years. <laughs> um, which it's, um, it's anywhere. Adrian's got this drift that they've naturalised under some birch trees and he's got this drift of Crocus Fanaticus. And I'm just, that is a, that was some serious plan Andy right there. Yeah. I bet. Fanaticus. I put it on the list, Ben. <laughs> This reminds me of a football match or a gig where people might leave a little bit early to try and beat the traffic. I suspect there are a few people who thought like, oh, well, we've gone to the question part of the podcast. I'm going to I'm going to ditch it because I've got something to do. And the people who've stayed just got that little coda, that little extra bit of planty goodness at the end there, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> you snuck in another plant. Okay. <laughs> Well, this has been a riot. Ben, thank you so much for coming and joining us on Talking Dirty. It's been great. Thank you very much for inviting me on. <laughs> it's nice to see you, mate. All the best. Very good. I see expect you soon. more cuttings to be changing. They yeah. will, they will. Happy gardening. Happy gardening, everybody. Bye. Hey, 4Ds here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. 
If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening, and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time.